So in previous episodes, Dale, you and I have talked about high performers or emerging leaders, talking about building the bench, making individuals stronger, really identifying and focusing on that. So in this episode of Conversations for the Fearless Leaders, let's go a little bit deeper because now that we have high performers, what about a high performing team? What makes a team? What makes them high performing? What brings value? Those are some of the things that I think our listeners, our fearless leaders, would be interested in knowing because the results, the impact that it can have on an organization can be tremendous. Welcome to Conversations for Fearless Leaders. Do you avoid important conversations for fear of not saying it right? How comfortable are you to deal with difficult situations? What if instead you could approach any conversation with clarity and confidence? We are Dale Lachlan of Trinidad and Tobago and Rhonda York of the United States. In Conversations for Fearless Leaders, we draw on our combined 40 years of experiences as professionally trained coaches certified in conversational intelligence and team coaching. So join us in this podcast series as we discuss your most challenging leadership situations with a deep multidisciplinary perspective. In each episode, we will share practical tools, tips, and steps for you to implement with confidence. Let your journey with us awaken your inner courage to discover, experiment, and learn what it takes to become a fearless master of leadership conversations. So I'm really curious, Dale, to hear some of your thoughts, and I think we could even share some experiences in our coaching with the different teams and organizations that you and I have worked with knowing that the organization would not be mentioned all for confidentiality reasons. So Dale, what do you think when we talk about a high performing team building it? At first, I'm thinking about those individual words, building a high performing team. Each one of those words has tremendous meaning and context. The other thing I think about is that what it is that makes a team, when we're talking about the word team itself, what it is we're talking about. Peter Hawkins, for example, says that it is the purpose that creates the team, not the team that creates its purpose. Now, that's interesting because typically what we tend to do is to bring a group of people together tell them they're a team and then get them to work out what their vision and their mission and their purpose is all about. What Hawkins is saying is, "Mm -mm." it is the purpose that creates a team. And he says, okay, so well, what is the purpose? What is it that needs to happen 
that only this group of people can make happen by working collectively. That's what makes them a team. I'm thinking about different teams within organizations that I've coached. So just because a team is like, say, the accounting department or the sales department, just because they all work in that department or on the same account, are you saying that does not necessarily make them a team? Yes, I guess that's what I'm saying. When I think of Peter Hawkins' um, most recent thinking, in this area, it is the purpose that creates the team. The question is, are these people together a group with complementary skills, committed to a common purpose, with specific, clear performance goals, and a shared approach for which they hold themselves and each other mutually accountable? Or are they just a group of people, of individuals, working in their own particular frames and contexts. Because if that's the case, that doesn't necessarily make them a team. That's really interesting. So there has to be a purpose for a group of people to come together to work collectively. And so there is the possibility that that can change for whatever reason. If the purpose changes, then maybe different people, different team makeup could possibly change. Okay. So then we're starting with purpose. So before you would throw a group of people together and call them a team, what's the purpose of having a team? So what's the next question? Who comes together for that team? Help me here. Who comes together for that team? Then I guess the answer has got to be when you look at the purpose, asking oneself, well, who do we need? Who, who are the people whose collective, whose individual and collective efforts are necessary? are required to achieve a result that in fact is greater than the result that would have been achieved if they just continued to work on their own. So who are those people? And it means then that the composition of your team is as wide as you need to make it. You know, I suppose traditionally you think of a team as a departmental team. So you, you use the example of accounts. So I have five people in my accounting department. So they become a team because they all belong to the accounting department. What we're discovering is that it's not necessarily so. Let's take something like perhaps accounts receivable. What you might be saying is the purpose here is that we keep our any given time within the within the requirements of what this organization would like to have outside in credit at any given time. Who are the people that we need to work collectively, individually and collectively, to support us achieving that? 
Is it just us in the accounts department? Well, no. From my own experience is that when you're looking at really making a difference in your accounts receivable, what you're doing is bringing people from your, all the people involved in that. So you're bringing people from the sales team. You're bringing people from the accounting function, particularly from an accounts receivable point of view. You're bringing people who have relationships with the guys who owe you the most money. So you're putting together a then a group of people, a selection of people. I want to be careful on what words I use here. You're bringing together different people whose voices, whose talents, whose um, competencies are relevant to the achievement of the purpose and who may in fact exist or who may in fact be located in different departments. Some of them might even be people who are external stakeholders to the organization. That's interesting and it makes more sense now with your explanation and that example. So once we have the purpose and we're bringing the right people together, where does the value come? So let's double click, which is a skill set that you and I like to do to really dig deeper into a word, a phrase to really understand what that means so that we can all be in alignment on the same page. So what are you talking about with value here? What's the value either of doing this like we're talking about or what makes a team have value? Ooh, no, that's an interesting one. Because again, if I go back a bit to what Hawkins talks about, first of all, he sees a distinction between the high performance team, the high impact team, and the high value team. It's almost as though he has seen a progression from high performance to high um, impact, performance to high impact to high value. And what he says about value is that this high value team is one that creates continuous. It co-creates continuous beneficial value with and for all of the stakeholders. So you realize the words, and we're doing the double clicking, the words here, are really quite meaningful and quite different to how we would normally describe even a high-performing team, a high-performing team. He's introducing words like, he talks about a high-value creating. So we've moved beyond performance. We've moved beyond impact to something that is co-created continuously. For beneficial value with and for all of the stakeholders. Okay, that's, that's, <laughs> there's a lot in that statement there. So I think we need to break this down a little bit. So co creating, we're going to do a lot of double clicking in this episode. When we talk about co create, because for a long time, a word used 
and still used a lot today is collaborating. And there's a difference between collaborating, but co-creating is working together, shared experiences, and we're all coming together again for that one purpose, one goal, and we're working towards that. So that's where the co-creating comes in. Trying to wrap my head around it. So there's an impact that can be made. We can be high performing, but when it comes to the value, I think I'm hearing you talk about all the stakeholders. So stakeholders, the company, the team itself, possibly board members, stockholders, and even the customers or the end users, because Again, if we don't have any end users, any customers, why are we doing what we do? And that's where the value comes in. So that value thing term is really different. I mean, I just hadn't thought about it as much as what you're talking about and going deep, much less comparing impact, high performing and value all in the same breath, I guess. It really is so interesting. If I suppose we think about it, that we really are here with in an organization, with all of our stakeholders, our suppliers, our investors, our customers, the end consumer, we are all here to create shared value for each other. Now, if you go back to my simple example earlier on about the accounts receivable. In a sense, I need to have my client's voice in there because I am managing the amount of debt that this organization can have outside at any given time. On the other hand, I need to manage that also in the context of what my customers' aspirations are, what their goals are, where their business runs. And it is the extent to which that we can have healthy conversations around that, that we can co-create solutions that allow us then to achieve our mutual goals. Because when I am able to satisfy your needs, when I'm able to supply you in a way and, and to afford you credit in a way that allows you to optimize the way you sell and the way your product turns run and your cash flow. It is in looking at those elements together that we can co-create a solution that works and that can sustain. And that doesn't mean it is carved in stone and never can change. It will change as the dynamics of the relationship change. For example, how many people, how many organizations just within, and talking now probably about smaller organizations, more entrepreneurial organizations, in the last 14, 16 months because of COVID, have had to shift the way they collect their funds to a more online version where their clients are now depositing the money straight to their accounts 
and it's all become an online virtual transaction. For one thing, if we go back to the purpose, when we're talking about the purpose for bringing a team together, now that we've talked about stakeholders, customers, end users, whomever stakeholders incorporates, that's part of our purpose now, right? When we're thinking about the purpose of bringing a team together, that that thought process contributes to an organization, a team deciding what their purpose is. So we've got that. The other thing in thinking about the stakeholders, their needs, their issues, what value are they looking for? What values do they need? So it's not just an organization thinking about themselves, their team, their purpose, and their values. It also has to extend out into other facets of the business, the end results, the end user, the customer, the stakeholders, the stockholders, all those different things. We can't just use the word team anymore without going a little bit deeper, double-clicking, and really understanding the purpose, the why, what value needs to come out of this team. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And one of the words that comes to me that we haven't mentioned so far is the word collective. It's as if there is collective work that needs to be done. Okay, so we need to double click on that. But when we refer to it and this concept, talking about building a high-performance team, what are we really talking about and saying when we mention the word collective? I, I, Rhonda, I think it is that we're, we're, we're starting to pay more attention to the fact that we are interdependent, that we have to rely on each other, that there is collective work to be done that requires us to work together because we have for mutual benefit. Um, and, and what that says to me immediately is the way in which we relate to each other, the way in which we behave with each other, the kinds of conversations that we're having with, with each other, therefore have to change. For example, if it is that there is this interdependence, if it is that we are working in a collective frame for the towards the pursuit of goals. If it is that it is that there is a long-term value that we are trying to co-create with each other, then it seems to me that we can no longer be in terror mode where we are simply telling people these are our policies. It may be that before we devise the policy, we've got to get, we've got to say, well, whose voices do we need to listen to as we think through what this policy and procedure is going to look like? Who then, how do we get engagement from the people who are going to have to work 
within these policies and procedures because these policies and procedures have to be aligned with all with the objectives and all the way back to the purpose because that's why they exist to support the productive work that needs to happen in order to achieve the objectives which are aligned to the strategies which are in turn aligned to the larger purpose. And perhaps what Hawkins and others are talking about is the fact that there is a bigger overarching purpose that we've not been paying attention to, which is the purpose of, as humans, how we are going to work in a way that is generative to the to our ecosystems, how we are going to work together to achieve that. And so coming back to my initial point about the conversations and the relationships, it means then that there are different things being required of us when we relate to each other, when we have conversations mm. with each other. There's more need for empathy, for systemic thinking, which is understanding this big, big picture for the collaboration and co-creation and teamwork because these are the things that make it happen. Right. So now we're getting really, really deep into this. And to sum this up is we don't just come together with a group of people and call ourselves a team. There's a lot more to it. And we've talked about the pandemic and how that has changed many things, affected many things, and it will continue to do so. And one of the statements that I made to you earlier that one of the things this pandemic has done is to make the invisible issues, problems more visible to us as coaches, but also to organizations and to teams. With this discussion you and I have had in this episode about building the high-performance teams, one, it's not easy, and two, it really takes a lot of thought, intent, so looking at what is our purpose, what value do we want to bring, who will receive this value. So that's where the stakeholders, the end users, that group, talking about being collective. So in that collective thought process, it's coming together, collecting different ideas, different thoughts, different input as we think about the value. Even deeper. I was going to say clearer, but I think we have to go deep. And then as we go deep, we make it clearer. Okay. And we come up with the words of trust and psychological safety. Because we're saying that this world that we're living in, we're realizing one of the things invisible being made visible is that this world is under threat from us. Our world is under threat from us in the biggest sense. That is forcing us as human beings to live, to work, to coexist 
in different ways. That doesn't happen overnight, but surely the need for it has become more visible. Now, how does that collective energy ignite and sustain without trust? How does it happen if people can't feel psychologically safe with each other? What do you think, Rhonda? Well, you and I talk about trust a lot. And I know that we both have had an opportunity to read some of Amy Edmondson's work. And I found it interesting that she talks in, in one of her recent books that trust is more between two individuals where psychological safety may have more impact on the whole, like the whole organization or the whole team. And I'm not sure you can have one without the other as, as my thought on that. But you and I always talk about how trust is the foundation. You cannot have a high-performing team. You cannot have a successful organization. You can't have a successful relationship if trust isn't there. So a step for me is for the team, the individuals to really double-click and talk about what is trust and what does it look like. When I say what does it look like, what I mean is how are people behaving? How are they showing up? How are they communicating with each other? How are they treating each other? And it needs to be consistent. And that's how I personally determine whether I can trust someone. Do they walk the talk? Are they saying one thing but doing something different? That's where I know whether I can trust someone or not. Psychological safety is different. I think trust needs to be there, but psychological safety is a total different thing. And I think maybe even us doing a whole episode on psychological safety, what is it? What does it look like again? What behaviors, what difference does it make? If we're talking high-performing teams, what difference is made if there's psychological safety compared to when it's missing? And research has shown that the difference is significant. It, what you're talking about here, Rhonda, is now adding, we've been talking a bit, a lot so far about alignment. So what's purpose, co-creation, collective effort, etc. Now we're bringing in the concept of psychological safety and trust. Together, these things are critical for the creation, the building, and the sustaining of high performance, high impact, high value teams. Wherever you are along that, Continuum, if such a thing exists, understand that a key foundational element is the extent to which 
trust and psychological safety exist. Because when you think about it, again, from the big picture context, the kinds of issues and problems that we're dealing with now in today's world, the pace at which these complex issues are coming at us, the volatility of the elements within these challenging situations, these are perhaps too much for any of us as individuals to handle and sustain an impact, a resolution and an impact on going forward. And so perhaps this is another reason why we need to get people together around that shared purpose. Maybe that's the shared purpose that we are coming together as teams because it's too much to handle on our own. But the thing is that if we're going to perform, if we're going to get to that level of performance, impact, value, we've got to have people who are exhibiting and exerting high effort, levels of effort, the levels of productivity, productive work have to be at a high level and sustained over a period of time. Yeah, that's really shifting the mindset and the way we've been working where people, they have a job, they know what their job is, they show up, they do their work. But through this pandemic and what's been exposed and what we're talking about, there has to be more intention. And you and I talk about that a lot. You really have to think about and be intentional about how you show up, what your purpose is, continuously giving thought to be in a team, be in an organization, being aware is trust there. If not, what needs to change? If it is, what's making us feel and believe that there is trust. And the same thing with the psychological safety. And it's not just me. I have to, as you said, depend on others, that interdependency. And collectively, we have to work together in order to find success. And it comes with how we treat each other. And most importantly, that comes through conversations. That's where the power is. It really does make very visible some what we've been reading any longer. That traditional model of top-down tell leadership doesn't work any longer. People no longer want that from their leaders. And the perpetuation of that style of leadership destroys, inhibits engagement. It inhibits psych psychological safety. It, in it destroys trust and it inhibits engagement. And you can't get collective effort 
towards shared purpose if there isn't high levels sustained over a period of time of engagement. So I guess leaders have some choices to make. Such as? In terms of how they are going to show up. In terms of perhaps even before deciding how they're going to show up, deciding well, what is my purpose as a leader? What it is I am trying to make possible as a leader for me and my team and my organization, for my family and my community, for the world? Because it's not just me alone. Again, it's no longer me alone. I am a leader within a context that ripples out from me to the world. And therefore, what kind of leader do I need to be to make these things possible? And if that is the kind of leader I need to be, how then do I want to show up? What is the impact? Those are key questions right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop you because I think that needs some emphasis. So what kind of leader do I want to be? And how do I want to show up? And those are great questions for leaders to think about. And it goes back to that phrase we use all the time that you must be intentional, meaning you have to be intentional how you talk with your team and to others. You have to be intentional how you show up. And so if you're thinking about the purpose, the impact, and the value that you want your organization to bring as a leader, it starts with me. And it's not me telling people how to show up and how to act. I think it starts with how I show up and how I act. I I am, as the leader, the role model I set the standard and it's not something that I can say this is how it's going to be and I show up different because that kills trust and psychological safety right there. So those are great questions, Dale, for our fearless leaders to think about always, but at least over the next week or so is what is my intention? What is my purpose? What kind of leader do I want to be? How do I want to be seen? How do I want to show up? Anything to add? I think we have touched on so much because we started talking about building high-performance teams. And we've ended up asking the leader to reflect on how do I want to show up? What kind of leader do I want to be? Perhaps what is interesting, really most interesting, is the fact that then, how does the leader define himself or herself in the context of the team and in the context of building and sustaining a team that delivers consistent, high-performance, high-impact, high value, if it is 
that the traditional style doesn't work. Yeah, food for thought. Interesting yeah. stuff. It's yeah. co-creating collective type of work. So in another episode, Dale and I will do a deeper dive on trust and psychological safety because those are things that are very important. Those phrases, that information, Dale and I are here to support you, our wonderful leaders, as you learn to have a more trusting team to have your conversations that move your organization forward versus closing down. Please reach out. We enjoy talking to you and with you and hearing from you. So thank you for joining Dell and I in Conversations for Fearless Leaders.